Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our conversation from last week about immigration. Andrew Drop is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and we've got a great lineup for you for topics for today's show. It is June the 8th, and on this day in 1968, James Earl Ray, an escaped American convict, was arrested in London, England, and charged for the assassination of African-American civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. On April the 4th, 1968, in Memphis, King was fatally wounded by a sniper's bullet while standing on the balcony outside his second-story room at the Motel Lorraine. That evening, a Remington 30 uh, 06 hunting rifle was found on the sidewalk beside a rooming house, one block from the Rain Hotel. During the next several weeks, the rifle, eyewitness reports, and fingerprints on the weapon all implicated a single suspect, escaped convict James Earl Ray. A two-bit criminal, Ray escaped to Missouri prison in April 1967 while serving a sentence for a holdup. In May 1968, a massive hunt, manhunt for Ray began. The FBI eventually determined that he had obtained a Canadian passport under a false identity, which at the time was relatively easy. On June the 8th, Scotland Yard investigators arrested Ray at a London airport. Ray was trying to fly to Belgium, where his eventual goal, he wanted, he later admitted, was to reach Rhodesia, which is now called Zimbabwe. It was at the time ruled by an oppressive and internationally condemned white minority government. Extradited to the United States, Ray stood before a Memphis judge in May 19, I'm sorry, March 1969, and pled guilty to King's murder in order to avoid the electric chair. He was sentenced to 99 years in prison. Three days later, he attempted to withdraw his guilty plea, claiming he was innocent of King's assassination and had been set up by a, as a patsy in a larger conspiracy. He claimed that in 1967, a mysterious man named Raoul had approached him and recruited him to a, a gun-running enterprise. On April the 4th, 1968, however, he realized that he was to be the fall guy for the King assassination when fled to Canada. Ray's motion was denied, and he was, uh, as were his dozens of other requests, for a trial during the next 29 years. During the 1990s, the widow and children of Martin Luther King Jr. spoke publicly in support of Ray and his claims, calling him innocent and speculating about the assassination conspiracy involving the U.S. government and military. U.S. authorities were in conspiracist mind. Uh, implicated circumstantially, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, obsessed over King, who he thought was under communist influence, <clears throat> Uh, for the last six years of his life, King underwent constant wiretapping and harassment by the FBI. Before his death, Dr. King was monitored by the U.S. military intelligence, who may have been called to watch over King after he publicly denounced the Vietnam War in 1967. Furthermore, by calling for radical economic reforms in 1968, including guaranteed annual incomes for all, King was making a few new friends in the Cold War era U.S. government. Over the years, the assassination had been re-examined by the House Select Committee on Assassinations, the County, Tennessee District Attorney's Office, and three times by the U.S. Justice Department. All these investigations have ended with the same conclusion. James Earl Ray killed Martin Luther King Jr. The House Committee acknowledged that a low-level conspiracy might have existed involving one or more accomplices to Ray, but undercovered no evidence to definitively prove this theory. In addition to the mountain of evidence against him, such as his fingerprints on the murder weapon and admitted presence at the rooming house on uh, April the 4th, Ray had a definite motive in assassinating King. That was hatred. According to his family and friends, he was an outspoken racist who told them of his intent to kill King. Ray, Ray died in, 1960, in 1998, I should say. Uh, how abysmal to kill a great man like Martin Luther King. He certainly had his warts and pimples, but... Uh, his famous address on the Lincoln Memorial uh, he, about having a dream and uh, 
where kids would his kids would be judged on not the color of his skin, but on the content of their character. Martin Luther King. And James Earl Ray, small guy who finally apprehended. Well, a small cancer trial of an innovative drug left every patient free of cancer in what experts call an unprecedented success. The study, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, found that 18 patients with rectal cancer who were given the drug uh, Dostaralib, my lib, (laughs) I practiced this so many times and I can't even say it, every three weeks for six months became cancer-free, including the first patient who remains in remission two years out from the trial. I believe this is the first time this has happened in the history of cancer. That, according to Dr. Luis Diaz, one of the authors, we initiated a prospective phase two study in which single-agent dostarlamab, an anti-PD-1 monoclonal antibody, was administered every three to five, six uh, weeks for six months in patients with mismatch uh, deficient stage two or three rectal adrenocarcinoma, the study said the treatment was to be followed by standard chemotherapy and surgery. Incredibly, the patients who took the drug, uh, which unmasked cancer cells, allowing the immune system to destroy them, did not need further cancer treatment. That's Dr. Kimi Ning, a uh, correctal expert from the Data, Data Farmer uh, Cancer Institute, called the trials remarkable and unprecedented in all the patients had a clinical complete response with no evidence of tumor or magnetic resonance imaging, explained the study paper. At the time of the report, no patients had received chemotherapy or undergone surgery, and no cases of progression or reoccurrence had been reported during the follow-up range of 6 to 25 months. It's amazing. According to Scientific uh, Science Daily, Dr. Hannah Sanoff, points out that 45,000 people in the U.S. were diagnosed with rectal cancer last year, and many of those cases were in people younger than age 65. She adds that historical treatment of the disease, such as radiation, chemotherapy, and surgery, can be debilitating. Sanoff, a professor at the UNC uh, School of Medicine Division of Oncology, says the new study offers hope for these patients. These initial findings of the remarkable benefit of this drug are very encouraging, but also need to be viewed with caution until the results can be replicated in a larger and more diverse population, Sanal said, adding that although quality of life measures have not been reported yet, it's encouraging that some of the most difficult symptoms, such as pain and bleeding, are resolved with the use of this drug. Amazing results. And can you imagine, perhaps this is just the beginning of uh, coming to a cure for, uh, for cancer. Amazing results. And great news. San Francisco voters have recalled radical district attorney Chesa Bowden uh, with the yes vote uh, running in excess of 60% as early results were counted on Tuesday night. He's the son of a convicted weather underground militant David Gilbert, who among the first of the cohort of left-wing prosecutors elected to pursue criminal justice reform, vowing to stop prosecuting quality-of-life crimes. His recall in the county's most left-wing city sends a warning to left-wing prosecutors nationwide, dozens of whom have been elected in the past few years with the help of millions of dollars in spending by left-wing billionaire George Soros. Thanks to Bowdoin's policies and those of his predecessor, George Gascone, who now serves as district attorney in Los Angeles and faces a recall petition of his own, San Francisco has slid into a mire of crime, drugs, and homelessness. By the way, did you see that uh, a woman and her child, eight-month-old child, hit by a car on purpose and uh, then only got six months of uh, probation? It's unbelievable. Well, anyhow, uh, Bowden was a hero for the left who saw him as an important ally, in the words of MSNBC host Chris Hayes, against mass incarceration and broken window policing. The latter has been hailed for decades by urban crime on the argument that many petty misdemeanors are committed by criminals who perpetrate more serious crimes and that an image of neglect encourages criminal activity, whereas enforcement of even small ordinances discourages. Elected in 2019, Bowdoin was an early proponent of ending cash bail and prosecution of petty crimes like public urination. He immediately fired experienced gang prosecutors. He also became the first prosecutor in the nation to eliminate saying it discriminates against the poor. 
And when Mayor uh, London Breed tried to launch a crackdown on crime in the drug-infested Tenderloin District, Bowden publicly opposed her efforts. He clashed with police over prosecuting officers for alleged brutality, yet while he was tough on cops, he was lenient towards casual shoplifters whose annex resulted in looting sprees last November and prompted retail chains to leave the city. More than 85% of San Francisco voters chose Joe Biden over Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Since then, the same electorate has recalled three school board members over work awoke education policies and now has recalled their uh, this radical d- district attorney. Bowden's defeat could foreshadow a similar fate for his predecessor, George Cascone, who was elected DA of Los Angeles County in 2020, with the help of millions from Soros, and now faces a recall drive nearing its goal with weeks to go. This is just great news. Perhaps this is the canary in the coal mine that we'll see uh, these types of DAs uh, being eliminated, you know, first of all pointed out, and then then perhaps not even elected because of people being on notice, and third of all recalled if they are. And uh, furthermore, uh, in Los Angeles, billionaire businessman Rick Caruso jumped to an early lead over rival Representative Karen Bass, who's a Democrat in California, as votes were counted Tuesday evening, leading by 8,000 votes, or roughly 41% to 38%. The left-wing Bass is the choice of the Democrat Party establishment and was nearly selected as Joe Biden's running mate in 2020. Caruso, or a Republican-turned-independent-turned-Democrat, is running on a promise to fix crime and homelessness, pointing to a successful career as a real estate developer, a tactic that has earned him comparisons from critics to Donald Trump. If neither of the top two candidates can win an outright majority, they'll head to a runoff in November to determine the overall winner. So Rick Caruso perhaps offering hope uh, to Los Angeles in turning around uh, the crime and homelessness uh, out on the streets in Los Angeles. And by the way, the DeSantis campaign is fighting back against George Soros-funded media manipulation targeting Hispanic Americans in various markets, including Miami, by submitting ad buys, alerting the community to true motives. The campaign's moves follow the Soros-linked purchase of Hispanic radio stations, forming the Latino Media Network, which is meant to disinform the community, according to DeSantis' campaign. According to Axios, The network is targeting 10 markets in areas such as Los Angeles, New York, Houston, Chicago, Dallas, San Antonio, McAllen, Fresno, Las Vegas, and Miami. Lake Star Finance, an investment group leading the charge, is directly affiliated with the Soros Fund Management. Further board members of Latino Media Network are including individuals affiliated with other radical left organizations. And so, uh, as you can see, now Soros is up to more dirty deeds. He's trying to purchase Latino uh, and Spanish-speaking radio stations. Here's the warning to voters. The left is taking control of our media. Billionaire George Soros, known for financing extreme leftist causes, is now financing the purchase of Hispanic radio stations right here in Miami. Soros teamed up with Biden supporters to buy the station from Teleunivision. Warning, they are coming for, uh, with their ideological agenda. Soros and his minions know that this community represents in the fight against socialism in America. He will not get confused, he goes on. Great stuff. Again, our governor rising to the challenge. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. 
I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. A couple weeks ago, we initiated a conversation about immigration. I'd like to pick up on one of the executive orders from Obama, his executive order related to the so-called DREAMers. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, of course, it's still playing out. Uh, even through the Trump and Biden administration. Yeah, to set the stage, you have to go back to 2007 and 2011. Congress twice rejected the so-called DREAM Act, which provided a sizable increase in funding for border security, plus a path to citizenship for selected children of illegal immigrants. Uh, then the next year, 2012, Rubio proposed a light version of the DREAM Act, which would have granted legal residency but not citizenship, and then Congress uh, rejected that one as well. Hmm. Meanwhile, Obama issues an executive order implementing DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which was essentially Rubio's light version. So he did, by executive Congress, refuse to do. And then two years later, Obama issues a second executive order expanding DACA, to cover some adults, not just the kids, but their parents. As a result, 5.6 illegal immigrants could apply for work permits and uh, three years relief from deportation if they were here for five years and either they arrived here under the age of 16 or they had a child who was a U.S. citizen or a legal uh, resident. So you can debate the merits of the act. I think you cannot debate that it was implemented illegally. Yeah, so uh, and uh, your 5.6, that's 5.6 million uh, uh, right. illegal immigrants. So uh, what did the courts say about Obama's executive order on uh, DACA? Well, to Obama's uh, dismay, a federal judge uh, halted the second executive order, the one that it expands, and he described it as a complete abdication of government's duty to enforce the laws as written not simply inadequate enforcement, but an unannounced program of non 
enforcement that contradicts Congress's goals. And then the court concluded that Obama couldn't unilaterally grant work permits and welfare to uh, illegals uh, without going through a formal rulemaking uh, procedure. And then the Supreme Court weighed in after Scalia died, but before Gorsuch was confirmed, the court, with only eight members, deadlocked at 4-4. And, of course, that left the lower court's injunction. So the DREAM Act was at least temporarily uh, put uh, put on hold. So what did the court say about the Trump executive order on DACA? So, yeah, then Trump comes in and tries to end DACA permanently, not just temporarily. This was back in uh, five years ago. And the uh, federal judges also <clears throat> enjoined his executive order. And for the same reason, failure to follow former rulemaking procedures. And then a year later, a federal judge orders the administration to accept new DACA applications, and that prompted yet another lawsuit, this time by state attorneys general, who wanted to overturn the uh, new DACA permits, saying that, you know, look, Obama implemented this whole thing illegally from the get-go, so Trump certainly ought to be able to cancel it. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court comes in and and addresses the Department of uh, Homeland Security versus University of California. This is a recent case. And the issue is whether the department's actions in winding down DACA was lawful as an executive order. And uh, more specifically, was the executive order an exercise of discretion or equivalent of legislation? Did it comply with this rulemaking procedure? The court held 5-4. Roberts, in this case, joined the four liberals that Trump's executive order was invalid. The court said because DACA is more than just non-enforcement, its rescission is subject to review under the Administrative Procedure Act. Thomas, by the way, with three of the conservatives, dissented and said, look, DACA was illegally implemented by Obama, and it should be terminated. But it was not. So interesting. So in other words, uh, it's illegal to, to establish this rule in the first place, but you got to follow the rules in order to unestablish it. <laughs> yeah, that's, you got it. Yeah. So what's the current status of DACA? Well, for now, it continues. You know, he, from a policy perspective, I personally think that's a good thing. I think the, the law should have been passed. But from a legal perspective, you know, the court, as you said, required Trump to jump through hoops to shrink executive power, but exempted Obama, when he expanded yeah. uh, executive power. So, you know, Obama may have done the right thing, at least in my view he did, but he did it the wrong way, and that is without Congress's approval, and it's about time that we stepped down <clears throat> and stopped this uh, executive legislation and make Congress do its job. Yeah. So haven't other presidents exercised broad discretion over immigration? Yeah, they have. You know, Clinton deferred action on the illegal immigrants uh, when, the, when there was war in Haiti and Bush, uh, Bush number two, took uh, a lot of actions regarding illegals that were in areas affected by Katrina. But, you know, those, those actions were discreet. They were temporary. Obama's executive order was open-ended, potentially timeless, and vastly larger in scope. As I mentioned, it affected six million uh, people. So yeah. Obama just, he didn't just respond to emergencies or, or set priorities or conserve resources. What he did was he rewrote and created a new law that Congress had expressly uh, re- rejected. So, you know, imagine if a future president were to waive EPA rules or, or Dodd-Frank uh, compliance. Yeah. The liberals would properly be up in arms. Uh, but the rules seem to be different when it uh, <clears throat> when it regards uh, immigration. So, uh, what had uh, Obama said in the past about executive overreach? Well, interestingly, he said, with respect, this is a quote, with respect to the notion that the president can just suspend 
deportations through an executive order. That's just not the case because there are laws on the books that Congress has passed. The executive branch's job is to enforce and implement those laws. And then he he said a couple of years after that, if this was an issue that the president could do unilaterally, I would have done it a long time ago. But the way our system works is that Congress has to pass legislation, and then I get an opportunity to sign it and implement it. So sad to say, Obama uh, violated his own principles. And then I think it's fair to say that President Trump repeated some of Obama's mistakes when it came to doing things that the executive branch uh, was not authorized to do and that Congress should have been doing. So interesting. Look forward to continue this conversation, Bob. I mean, right now, the state of immigration, in my opinion, is a mess. So perhaps yes, we, we can unfold. We can all agree on that part. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. A pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josefa Savaz. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. Already broke ground, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, we're, things are really disturbing right now, what we're seeing in our society. A lot of uh, activity on the elites and uh, people taking power and trying to protect their act- actions by calling uh, d- uh, domestic extremism. What are your thoughts? Well, you just covered everything I wanted to say, Bob. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much, uh, and I'm going to describe it categorically as negative uh, things happening right now in America. Mm-hmm. But as, as typical with our conversation, let me start out with some good news. And there really is some good news today. Uh, in San Francisco yesterday, uh, Jesse Bodine was recalled 
Now, uh, the DA, for your, for your audience, the DA of San Francisco, a Soros, uh, essentially funded and appointed uh, district attorney of, of San Francisco. There are some things that even surprised me. I, I somewhat anticipated a recall, but the vote was 61 to 38 in San Francisco to recall what is broadly defined as, a, who is broadly defined as a liberal district attorney. So I, I thought the size of that, of that vote uh, against uh, Boudin in favor of the recall was uh, was amazing. Uh, I think we can also look at a, a phenomenon that I think we have to eventually investigate, and I've made this point in, in other blogs, but uh, Boudin's background is, uh, is tainted, and I know we can't condemn the son for the father. We have to look at the familial tendency towards criminal activity or or favoritism towards criminal activity. Uh, Boudin's father was a member of the Weather Underground. He was charged with second degree murder, incarcerated for 30 years, and his mother also was uh, was a criminal and incarcerated. Now, again, I'm making some uh, total uh, total condemnation of everyone who has a criminal past in their family, but. On the other hand, there is a strongly identified criminal tendency, uh, familial, that uh, that should always be investigated. Bob. Well, thank you for that, Andy. The, the other part, though, is uh, not only family influence, but also Soros-influenced and uh, financed. And uh, it's uh, uh, hopefully this is the uh, canary in the coal mine and it will wake up citizens about what's happening in Soros financing these district attorneys who are literally destroying law and order in, in the communities where they serve. Well, I, I hope that the the mayor of San Francisco, that uh, London is that I, I, London, I think it is, uh, will appoint someone that is uh, of a better stripe than than is Bodine. But uh, that that waits to be seen. But I think for the moment, I think there is a there is good reason for some uh, some uh, positive reaction to that Bodine uh, uh, recall. I think that uh, again, once again, I'll re. re uh, emphasize the size of the vote, 6138. So very significant, and we'll see how it plays out as time goes on. Another piece of good news, and I had alluded to this movie, and movies are movies, and I understand that, but the success of Top Gun Maverick, it drew 300 million in its its first weekend worldwide, and and it is obviously a, a strong statement of the value of American teamwork and the triumph of the individual. And I think that is the most distinctive factor with, with Maverick. Uh, the, the world is a battle right now between collectivism and individualism, and certainly Top Gun Maverick speaks loudly in support of individualism. Uh, and another sort of a uh, interesting subset of this, uh, on the back of Maverick's jacket in the original Top Gun, there was a Taiwanese flag. There was significant debate whether in this remake of Top Gun they would keep that Taiwanese flag on the back of of his jacket, and they did, which was uh, somewhat thumbing their nose at uh, at China right. uh, as they took that approach. So that that was a good news story, Bob. You know, uh, you wrote a column, and by the way, I've, I've published uh, three of your columns this week uh, that are really outstanding. One of them is Universal Cures for Specific Problems. Maybe you can tell us about it. Um, I wasn't going to go there yet, but let, let us let us go there as long as we're there. And, and th- thank you for mentioning that, Bob. Uh, my, my point is that the general tendency in the totalitarian societies and tyrannies, and I, I pointed out the, the, the use of this in, uh, in Pol Pot's Cambodia and uh, Stalin's Soviet Union, uh, when you deal with the universal, you are taking an entire category of, uh, of a potential crime or offender, and you are punishing everyone in that category. For example, Pol Pot killed all people who he suspected of being intellectuals because he believed that the resistance to his regime came from the intellectuals. That uh, that included people who wore eyeglasses, Bob, because he thought that indicated that they, they had a deep investment in reading. So he killed everyone in that universal category because he thought some members in that category would be in that area. Mm-hmm. Stalin did the same thing. He universally uh, uh, arrested everyone, sent them to the, uh, the, the gulags in Siberia if he thought they were in the context of being able to commit a crime or resist his regime. So they took the universal, anyone in the possible possible context of committing a crime, and sent them to the gulags. Now, the reason I bring that up and, and brought it up in this uh, in this essay was to make the same point as it regards the way uh, the left, many on the left, are approaching the uh, the right to bear arms. They are taking the universal category of gun ownership. They are then suggesting that within that universal category, there will be a few people who will act in an inappropriate and illegal manner. 
and the way they want to deal with it is the same way all tyrannies want to deal with these things is by eliminating the entire category, a universal reaction to a specific problem. And I think that is not exactly where we are today in terms of the gun debate. But I think there's little doubt that given the opportunity, the left would in fact ban and confiscate all weapons in this country within the same logic used by Pol Pot, the same logic used by Stalin, Bob. I'll, I'll refer to it not as logic, but fanning the flames of emotion. That's exactly what the what this runs on. In fact, everything that's happened with the McConaughey and uh, the, uh, the what's happening on the left right now, let's fan these flames, let's get people upset about this so we can pass legislation not based on logic, but based on emotion. Well, I mean, that that's obviously the case. There's no doubt that all of us would like to in some way uh, prevent school shootings. And the question then becomes one, what is the... Uh, the, the way that might happen, what is the constitutional way uh, that might happen, what is the way that might happen without taking away Americans' individual right to self-defense and their ability, if it becomes necessary, to resist a tyrannical government. I know that that point is, uh, is, is ignored or belittled by the left, but yet that is a major consideration, and I think that we have to always weave that in. So I think we're looking at uh, things that are being talked about that are uh, in my estimation, blatantly unconstitutional, for example, red flag laws, where in fact any local uh, police administration can determine someone is, the danger is dangerous by their own determination, not even an adjudicated process, Bob. Mm -hmm. They then can go into that person's home, probably at six o'clock in the morning, break into their homes without any judicial rendering on that and seize their weapons. Or even if they don't have weapons, uh, they can perform this action under red flag laws. So I think there's nothing more ominous in my mind at this point, at this exact point, Bob, than the, than the push towards these red flag laws, which not only are unconstitutional, but are extremely dangerous uh, to Americans. Yeah, and you think, you know, that could never happen in America, and yet you watch what happened to Peter Navarro, where they could have simply just, they had his phone number, they called him up and said, well, we'd like you to report to the office here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Instead, they humiliated him in a public airport, duck walked him out of the uh, airport, Tie up, uh, locked him in chains and took him to uh, to jail. I mean, that's exactly when you have red flag laws. That's how they could be used and probably would be used under this regime. There is there is no doubt. We've seen them uh, in action already. So this is not just uh, just hypotheticals. Uh, uh, Peter Navarro had worked in a cooperative spirit with the FBI prior to this moment. Uh, he was not trying to run. There was no. A possibility of his running. Uh, and yet, as you just indicated, they wanted to humiliate him. They handcuffed him, shackled him, uh, threw him in the back of a police car. Uh, and I saw Navarro on television, just a 72-year-old man with a tremendous, uh, tremendously uh, meaningful career as a presidential advisor. And I could see that he was uh, personally, as he should have been, personally uh, bothered. I, that's probably too uh, weak a word, but certainly bothered by what what happened to the point of it being a, an emotional trauma. And uh, uh, what a shame to see a man of Navarro's quality being treated that way. And certainly we can immediately make a direct comparison to the uh, to the response uh, to Sussman or the, the trial response to Sussman, where obviously he had lied. There's no doubt about that. And with a, a completely rigged jury, uh, Sussman walks and a man like Navarro is is thrown into shackles and imprisoned. Then just just an absolutely outrageous situation. Yeah, a dual form of justice right now. And it's just really a shame to see. Andy, we've got to take a little break and you stick around. I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. 
Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor, but also author of a terrific read. It's called Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. I'd like to get your opinion and assessment of the gun control uh, discussion that's going on right now, leading towards, it seems to be, imminent uh, legislation. Well, I'm, I'm sure there will be something that happens. I, I hope that it's nothing that would uh, even uh, remotely resemble anything of significance, because I think when, uh, as soon as we add the word significance to this, we're obviously violating uh, uh, constitutional uh, requirements. Uh, in my estimation, any, any significant, meaningful change in uh, the right to bear arms requires an amendment to the Constitution. Right. Uh, it cannot be uh, changed legislatively. That's, that's my opinion. I, it's the opinion of others also, but it's, it certainly is mine. Uh, if we're looking about uh, what I think this is, it's, uh, again, a, a showpiece for the Democrats. Uh, they're, uh, they use these, uh, these horrible events to, uh, to, uh, to create or seize the emotional response of the American people. Uh, they build on the pain of the uh, of the uh, the victims and the pain of Americans in terms of these of these events. They're uh, they're they're ghoulish as far as I would present the the way they they respond. Uh, if we extend that immediately into the uh, Thursday night uh, congressional presentation to the American people, the first episode of this, uh, I think we're looking at a a kangaroo court. One that I never thought that I would see in, in America. There's so many things I can say that about. You mentioned uh, that phrase before. Uh, what we'll see on Thursday night is, is going to be a, uh, a biased, one-sided presentation uh, with perhaps even the inclusion of, uh, of falsified information. They've done that already uh, during their process. Uh, the House would like to convince the American people that they are legitimately in a, an investigatory and, and prosecutorial uh, group. They are not. It isn't their responsibility. They are legislative. Uh, I know that they will ignore certain things. They'll ignore perhaps the, the, the primary thing that should be woven into this and probably should have prevented the need for this hearing is the FBI has already fully investigated the event of January 6th. They said many things. Trump did not provoke it. It was not an attempt at insurrection. There was no coordination of the activities. The FBI probed this deeply. And that is the true investigative body uh, for this process. If they, in fact, had brought in a need for indictment or, or further action, that would have been the province of the, uh, of the attorney general. The House has absolutely no role to play, but you won't hear, and I can guarantee this in advance, you won't hear about that FBI uh, investigation. Uh, you won't hear about the, uh, the murder, and it was a murder, of Ashley Babbitt that night. You won't hear about the fact that President Trump had requested on multiple uh, moments uh, the the addition of, I think, 10,000 National Guardsmen for, for security. You won't hear that Nancy Pelosi has been cited by the Capitol Police for 57 violations of, of security uh, before that, that event unfolded. 
Um, no, you, you won't hear about any of these things. My, my concern is that uh, all of those realities that I just cited will, in fact, be, be ignored. Uh, and the, the American people, uh, uh, if there are neutral Americans, I don't know if there are any neutral Americans anymore. I think they will be, unfortunately, persuaded by the very biased information that will be presented that night. I am concerned that it will lead towards uh, naming of individuals, which may result in uh, in criminal indict- indictments. Uh, and we've seen those things happening. We can get back to the Navarro situation and many others, uh, people that were loyal to yeah. Trump and people that were part of the, the Trump team. So I, I am concerned that what will happen on Thursday night, which, by the way, Bob, will only be the first episode uh, in these presentations by the House. So I think this is the first and uh, of many. Uh, I don't know how many, but I've heard there's going to be a series of these presentations. Uh, I think my concern is for the individuals that will be identified, uh, and there will be, I think, action, unfortunately, taken against many of them, Bob. Well, you made good points. I, I will say you'd mentioned that the, the uh, activity on uh, the 6th was not orchestrated. I think it was. It was ac- actually uh, orchestrated by the FBI, agents of the FBI and uh, uh, friends of the FBI. Unfortunately, that won't come out either. And I will say also, uh, if in fact this uh, hearing is uh, promoted, as, as you mentioned, and of course they, they've hired the uh, former producer of Good Morning America as somebody to help promote this as uh, something that will be really in, kind of inflame the, the interest in this, I think most people will say, you know what, what's this got to do with inflation? What's this got to do with the cost of goods? What's this got to do with immigration? I think most people, this is not on their minds. I think polling has demonstrated this is not on their minds that that's why i really emphasize i think you're right bob absolutely Uh, that's why i emphasize the potential for damage to to individuals and i i think that uh we might see those type of uh of of, of, of legal maneuvers uh being attempted by the house uh, this theoretically bipartisan house committee uh it's it's, it has no bipartisan nature to it in reality uh will in fact move towards damaging individuals and i uh that is a concern of mine which sort of leads me if i might into another essay i published which is uh the issue of uh protecting uh protection for persecuted americans and i i obviously don't, as I tell the audience about this, I obviously don't believe it's going to happen, although I think it should. What I suggested is that there has to be uh, a sanctuary state created for these people to flee to when they are going, when they are under uh, serious challenge from this illegal federal government and illegal charges. I suggested, of course, Florida. Uh, I built my case around the left support of sanctuary cities for uh, illegal immigrants. Uh, I think that that was totally illegal. I find it far more illegal consideration to establish the potential for a sanctuary state like Florida where these people, rather than going to prison for uh, indefinite time periods under false allegations, can flee at least for a potential of protection from the federal government. And and I'll tell you, Bob, I, I hate to be even suggesting things in that direction. But if the question is asked, mm-hmm. how do we protect innocent Americans from the outrages of the assault of the federal government? Uh, I'll tell you, Bob, it's the only answer I could come up with. Well, it's so interesting uh, and to just pile on here. The fact of the matter is we've got people who are in jail for uh, even haven't even been charged now from January 6th. And uh, now people have been charged with the sedition. Uh, just recently, in order to, uh, hell, I, I would suspect, build the case for these January 6th uh, broadcasts of the subcommittee that uh, that's coming up. So uh, there is a dual system. Of, we started out with this. There's a dual system of justice, and it is just unconscionable. It could happen here in the United States. It's like a banana pup, uh, republic. Well, I mean, let's let's immediately identify that a dual system of justice is no justice. Yeah. So again, uh, even the even the concept that suggests is justice in a model of that type, Bob, uh, misstates the reality. No, a uh, two system justice is is no justice. Every every uh, tyranny, every totalitarian society has a theoretical as a theoretic justice or judicial system. Uh, we saw that in Nazi Germany. We saw that in the Soviet Union with the Stalin birth trials. Uh, we've seen it every place in totalitarian states and they call it justice. And we call our system justice. I'll tell you in the examples I used and in the United States right now, uh, it does not exist at the federal level. Bob. Uh, so well said. Andy, you want to just take one more break and you stick around? Certainly, Bob. Okay, we're gonna have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, let's pick up where we left off in our last conversation. Now, what are your thoughts about, uh, for example, the dual system of justice? What do I think about it? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we've talked about that already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I thought I made that fairly clear, but I mean, as long as we're there again, um, as I said, the dual justice system is not justice at all. It is a it is a term that is used to obfuscate the fact that justice has has disappeared in a given society, and that's where we are right now. So, uh, I think the concept is um, is. Uh, so almost self-explanatory in its implication, Bob. Absolutely. Um, I, I mentioned to you off offline or off air that uh, I have three questions, and these are not just uh, vague questions that have uh, concerned me. They're they're meaningful questions, I think, um, and I'd like to see how you uh, you deal with them. Um, first of all, I, I'd like to understand how anyone who is in Mexico, let's say from Nicaragua, uh, El Salvador, Guatemala, can while they're in Mexico, they've come from their home country through Mexico, how they get to the United States border and then claim asylum status. How can you not be in a country that is the cause of your potential asylum and then claim asylum status? I, I, I try to, I, no, I more than try. I try, I investigated that issue, have not been able to come up with an answer as to how that is even possible. That's that's one question I haven't been able to get the answer to. Another one that, uh, that perplexes me a, a bit, we see uh, the United States uh, worldwide confiscating the assets of Russian citizens. Um, I failed to see the legality of it. I have not been able to uh, find anything that would define or defend the legality of the seizing of private assets uh, of a country like Russia, where we're not even, not theoretically, we are not in any sense at at war. So I've not been able to find an answer to the legality of that. I I can't imagine what would have happened if if nations had seized the uh, assets of Americans once we invaded Iraq in 2003. I, I, I I don't understand the logic or the legality of it. 
And my 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 third question is uh, somewhat facetious, obviously, as you'll hear it. How does Janet Yellen remain as the secretary of the Treasury when she seems to know almost nothing about economics or finance, especially the area of inflation? And all of that is considering that she graduated from Brown University. <laughs> she did. I didn't realize that. I'm, I'm experiencing more now. <laughs> Well, for, for you, your audience, uh, your, Bob was a was a, a happy graduate of Brown University back when it was still a reasonably high quality university. <laughs> well, thank you, Andy. So, to your first question, though, quite frankly, I think these people are coached. They come to uh, the border. They're told exactly what to say in order to pass muster with the border, uh, in order to to be able to claim asylum. They have no right to claim asylum. Your point is is a- totally accurate. These people, uh, these people, uh, if if they've already left their country to come to Mexico, they they have asylum. <laughs> they don't need to go to another country. That's not their purpose why, at all. Why isn't that question front and center in terms of the issue of seeking uh, seeking asylum? I mean, it seems to be so appropriate a question, and yet it doesn't seem to ever uh, ever uh, make it to the top of the the list. Uh, I can add to this, and sort of it's not exactly the same topic. We can look at the the United Nations right now funding the caravan. Uh, that's coming to the 15,000 person, as best I understand the number, caravan coming to the United States through Mexico, being funded by the United Nations. And I I don't understand this at, at all in terms of the uh, the appropriateness of a national body of which we're a major part, a major part of that constituency, um, why that's allowed to happen. I, I thought that a nation like the United States would have veto on an action of that type of. It is so confusing and so, but you know, needless to step back and you understand that this administration wants illegal immigration. They don't want barriers to illegal immigration. They want to enhance illegal immigration. So the whole system is set up to support that agenda, including questions like, for example, and uh, questions about who's funding the, the, the fact that they're coming in. I mean, we've got uh, fentanyl problems with the uh, uh, trafficking, human trafficking. We've got so many different issues all revolving around exactly what you're talking about here, Andy. You know, and, and we hear stories constantly about some strange disease that's becoming more abundant uh, in America uh, and hepatitis in children, for example, tuberculosis, um, leprosy even, that uh, that are on the that are on the increase since this unchecked wave of immigrants has come in. We, we seem to ignore the danger that that might represent to our children, and it has. There, there's a high increase in the uh, amount of, of lung lung disorders in school-aged children in America since the wave of immigration. Now, those things correlate. That doesn't necessarily mean cause and effect, but there's a strong correlation between these uh, increased waves of immigrants and uh, the increased disease level in America, Bob. Well, and you've also got the CDC, who currently you, you'd like to believe that the uh, Public Health Administration would want to be uh, preventing disease in the in the United States. But unfortunately, I mean, you, you can see what they're pushing. They're pushing the vaccines. They're pushing, and th- and and now we're seeing this reveal around the disease that and the the heart disease and the things that are occurring as a result of the, from the uh, from the vaccines themselves. We can't even trust the agencies that we have right here in the United States to protect us. Once we lose faith in our institutions, and I think we're certainly there for the vast majority of our institutions, then a nation is is certainly uh, in, in deep trouble, and we are in deep trouble because the uh, there has to be a confidence in the in the people of a nation with their institutions, and right now that has been uh, forfeited uh, appropriately. So I mean, appropriate in the sense they've earned that uh, that rejection, uh, and I think it's deepening right now, Bob. So. Um, well, I'll how much say, time do we have left? We well, have we ha- we're, we're out of time, but I will say uh, say this: uh, uh, just to, uh, the very first thing that you started out with, the fact that we have a recall of one of Soros's uh, DAs up in San Francisco, and we're probably looking at another one in uh, Los Angeles. The people are beginning to speak out, and I think they're getting active and concerned about what's happening. And uh, the the real the real uh, solution to our problem is, of course, people being involved and uh, being uh, asserting their constitutional rights. And I don't think uh, a minority like we're seeing with the Biden administration is not going to be able to prevail. Let, let me just conclude with one statement. If we have elections in 2022, and I think there's some doubt about that with the increased uh, 
Department of Homeland Security warning about terrorist activities and those type of things that this could uh, escalate into a uh, such a dangerous situation. They have to end the, the election. I'm not predicting that, but I think we, that's a possibility. Uh, but I'm more concerned with the illegality of elections. If we have elections and if they are legal, there is there should be absolutely no doubt that there'll be an absolute uh, red wave across America. And I, I think all of the media elections have documented that. Uh, so let's let's hope for let's hope for legality. And if we get that, I think we have a chance of saving America, Bob. Andrew Joppa, great radio. And thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Really appreciate your commentary. See you soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. No show tomorrow. I'm going in for a hip replacement surgery tomorrow. So uh, hopefully I'll be back on Friday. Don't know. We'll see how the recovery goes and how the anesthesia treats me and pain and all that nonsense. But nevertheless, I really appreciate your attention to the show and I appreciate your uh, uh, patronizing our advertisers. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>